are not hidden There's never been a moment You were forgotten You are not hopeless Though you have been broken Your innocence stolen I hear you whisper underneath your breath I hear your SOS, your SOS Hello everyone and welcome to an all new episode of Wonderfilled Week. I am your host, Caitlin Corey. Today I am honored to present to you part two of the Leave Your Mark series, which spotlights inspiring individuals doing their part to better this world we all share. My guest today is a dear friend of mine, Karen Atardo. Karen is an amazing mother, a talented makeup artist, an in-demand esthetician, and the proud co-founder of a nonprofit organization called Love and Relief. Karen has traveled to Haiti nearly 20 times in 10 years and has done a remarkable job in aiding this community of women and children with whom she has connected with over the years and have grown near and dear to her heart. Keep up with Karen's humanitarian journey by following along on Instagram and Facebook at Love and Relief for Haiti. If you would like to make a direct donation to her nonprofit, you can do so via Venmo or PayPal, and the handle is Love and Relief. I will add these links in addition to her Amazon wish list to the show notes. Without further ado, please welcome co-founder of Love and Relief, Karen Atardo, to the program. I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true. I will rescue. There is no distance It cannot be covered over and over You're not defensive Hello, Karen. Welcome to Wonderfilled Week. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? So nice to see a pretty face. Oh, right back at you. I want to thank you for making the time to speak with me today. This episode marks part two of a collection I am working on called the Leave Your Mark series where I interview inspiring people who are using their time, energy, and resources to leave the world a better place than how they found it. I invited you on today because you are doing just that. You pump so much good into this world with your charity work through the charitable organization that you co-founded called Love and Relief. We are gonna dive into what inspired you to get into this type of work, what it means to you, and how we can help. So let me begin by asking, how did you get involved in humanitarian work and how did your charity Love and Relief come to be? So I started, um, my son was getting a little bit older and I was kind of at a crossroads in my life. I was quitting my full-time job in office work. I was going to school to be an esthetician and I was breaking up with his father all at the same time. So I was kind of just like, what am I doing? Where am I going? What am I going to do with my life? Do I even want to be an esthetician? Like, why did I quit my job? I was like, really kind of like all over the place. And I just kind of wanted to get out of my own way. And so I started going back to church. I had left, I had grown up in a very um, 
like faith-based household. And as I got older, I just kind of went my own way and did my own thing. And so I started going back and I met um, some people my age that were more interested in doing things like, you know, bettering themselves than just going out and drinking every single weekend, which, you know, we both worked in a restaurant together, you know, that yeah. <laughs> like having drinks after work. And um, so I started going to church and then I started hanging out with these people more often. And one of their friends had been to this orphanage in Haiti about 10 times and was telling us about it. And we, it, the earthquake had just happened. And so we got to talking about it and we just decided let's go. So we were like, let's do something good. And I just wanted, I just wanted to get out of my, the place I was in. I wanted to get out of my house, my neighborhood, my state. Like I just wanted to get out and go do something that didn't involve me constantly thinking about myself and what I was going to do with my life. Pretty much love and relief started because I didn't know it at the time, but it became a really big passion of mine. And I started going every year and then it turned into twice a year. And then just to help more people, I had to kind of stop my own nonprofit. Wow, that is amazing and so admirable and so honest. And I appreciate that because I think it's sometimes hard to reflect on chapters like that when maybe you're not always doing exactly the right thing or you're just like in a funk and you're just feeling like nothing's working and you need to change. And so I really appreciate you sharing what you were really going through at that time. You know, that came from some real struggles and some real, just a funk, I would call it. And I feel like to take that and say, I want to do something good for somebody else and, and do something charitable. That's just so unbelievably amazing. So based on the good work I see you doing on your numerous trips to Haiti, it seems like you now have a system in place and know exactly what you're doing to make your time and resources most effective. But like anything else in life, doing something new for the first time can sometimes be daunting. So let's go back to that first trip. What was your first trip to Haiti like and was it what you expected? My first trip to Haiti was, I really didn't have any expectations. I had spoken to the director of the orphanage before we went. We had a meeting with him and he explained some things to us. And then we had meetings with the people we went with. So I went with a different nonprofit. I was traveling with just a group of a bunch of people. It wasn't just people from my church. It was from people all over. So we had meetings. So they tried to explain to you what it's going to be like, but there's no way to set someone up for it. Even now when I run trips, people ask me all the time. I'm like, I can tell you my experience and how I feel when I'm there, but when you get there, you might feel something totally different. It was a year after the earthquake, so it took us a year to plan it. And it was still, there was just buildings down everywhere, tent cities everywhere. The second I got out of the airport, it was like I stepped into another dimension. There was tents everywhere, people everywhere. There's just people everywhere. It was crazy. So my first trip, it was exciting. It was scary. It was sad. It was overwhelming. Um, I'd never really seen poverty at that level before. I'd never seen children that were malnutritioned before. I'd never seen people that don't eat every day. And honestly, it crushed me. Emotionally, I had a pretty much a meltdown one of the days I was there. I just was like, why? Why are people not eating? Like, I just couldn't understand it, especially with the surplus that I'm used to working in restaurants. You throw food away all the time. And I just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. So it took me a long time to process when I came home. It took me like quite a few months to process everything that just even water, like they, they don't have access to clean water, things like that. But it was beautiful and I fell in love. So now I, I actually, I was on your charity's Facebook page and I read a beautiful open letter that you posted and I wanted to share a quote from it because to me it showed how much you were changed from your first trip. So this is the quote from your, your post. 
In the midst of the confusion, despair, and horror that I experienced, I felt the deepest tug on my heart. I felt like I had just found heaven. I know that sounds crazy, but I never felt anything like that in my life. I was completely in love with people I hardly knew in a place that most people wouldn't let their dogs live. Since then, I've traveled there many times to bring love and relief. I've made friends, lost friends, and formed a second family. Haiti, you have my heart, and I am forever grateful for the lessons you continue to teach me about love. I'm like getting emotional reading your quote. I didn't know I was going to need my tissues. Now, I feel like that is exactly, I mean, when I read that, I was like crying last night doing the research, just like, wow, you're really speaking from your heart. And, and that feels like it's still really true to you today. Like you made friends, you've lost friends and it really changed you. Because I was, I'm so into it and I was so affected by it. I always wanted to have more kids and I never did. And I don't know if that has some kind of like nurturing motherly thing about me. What you walked in on the first time you went, it was unlike anything you've ever seen before. And so it makes sense. And I share connections with those people, like whether or not I travel with them anymore and whether or not I ever see them anymore, because some people were from different states and you have, you have like this deep connection with people. It's, it's hard to explain it because you can't really explain it unless you're there with people. And that's like the hardest thing to try to um, articulate to people when they do ask me these kinds of questions, because like, I love those people in a different way than I love anyone else it's like it's really hard to explain I think you just see people and you you see their best their worst you see their strengths their weaknesses in a way that you wouldn't really see you're hot you're showering out of buckets you're seeing really really sad things you're seeing really really beautiful things you're laughing you're dancing you're crying like there's just so much going on in a short period of time now is each trip because you go with a different group each time is each trip unique because you're experiencing something and you would never be able to recreate that again. So every time you go, you experience different things with different people. Yeah, it's every trip's different. There's some times that are really, really bad. We've had some really bad trips. And I mean, in terms of like just bad things happening in front of our eyes with people getting injured or people that are really, really sick um, or just people that you, you get to know people. So my experience is different because I go there so often. I have relationships with the women that work in the orphanage. I have relationships with the people that work for the organization. I have relationships with kids in the neighborhood. I have relationships with people in different nonprofits that are down there that I work with. And then you bring somebody brand new and they're just seeing it all for the first time. So it's very different. Every trip is different. And I've, I never wanted to be in charge of anything. Like it's never been my, my joy in life to tell people like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to go here. We're gonna go there. So I've made a lot of mistakes and I've had to learn from them because it's just something I never thought I would do. I never thought I would run trips and be the person that everybody's asking questions and like, it, it can be very chaotic. So yeah, it's never, ever the same, never the same. And you're in a leadership role, which is like crazy. So you're like, people are really looking to you. Like, what do we do next? Yeah. I never really, I never really even thought about it. I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. We're going to get people to go. We're going to run trips and everything is going to be like kumbaya. And that's not always how it is. So I'm really naive when I started just inviting whoever to come with me because I was like, shoot, I probably should have maybe like thought about this and could be a little bit more organized, to be honest, but. 
Well, everything has a learning curve. So how many years have you been doing this and about how many trips have you taken? So I started a year after the earthquake. So that was 2011. My first trip was March of 2011. And I, I actually went through all my emails and all my plane tickets and my um, passport because a couple of years ago, because I lost track and I wasn't really sure. Um, so the last time I was there, which was in January of this year, I, it was my 19th time, which is crazy. Wow. That is crazy. And you're approaching your 10 year mark too in March. That is unbelievable. And okay, walk us through a trip. How long do you guys go for? And what is like some of the things you do while you're there? So typically you're there for about seven days, you know, around a week. It would be awesome if I could stay longer, but obviously I'm taking my vacation time at work and maybe someday I'll be able to stay longer. But typically when you get there, you're coming with a lot of donations. Every person can bring two 50 pound bags. So that's how we get everything there. You pack your personal belongings and a backpack and like, you know, a carry on. Everything else is donations. So when you get there, you're bringing a lot of basic necessities and things that they need. And we started a water filtration system. So a lot of times I have to bring filters and things for that. Um, and then we started a solar panel project there to help the water filter to work all the time and so that they can have electricity because they don't really have electricity there all the time. It comes in and out. It's really fickle. And then we do feedings. So I'm really into feeding programs. We do them in very poor areas. You know, all of Haiti is very poor, but there are areas that are bad and way worse off than some of the kids that I'm around all the time. So we do feedings there. Handouts, we'll do school supplies. We are really into helping them become self-sustaining. So anything we can do to get them educated, to get their families educated, to help them start businesses and to get them really involved in what they would like to do and what their strengths are. Because you can go in there and be like, well, I think you should do this and I think you should do that because we're Americans and we think we know everything. But it doesn't always work that way for them. So you really have to listen and you have to pay attention to their education level. If they want to start a business and you, you don't even know if they even know how to count back change. You know what I mean? I'm really into um, helping children. That's first and foremost, but then their families, if their parents or their mother, because in a lot of cases, it's mostly mothers. If their mother is able to get a job and work and provide for her family, their kid's going to be better off. That's where my focus is. It's usually somewhere around there, but we've done so many things over the years. It, I can't even remember all of them, honestly. I would have to like really go back. Building projects, schools, building roofs, bathrooms, all types of stuff. Yeah. So, and, and you're good at a lot of things. Like even in your real regular American life, you have a lot of different kinds of jobs and you're an esthetician, you've been a bartender, you're a mom, you really are a jack of all trades and a master of all, I would say. Oh so gosh. you're just the right type of person to go there and say, okay, I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. I can make you look beautiful, but I'm also down to get in my sweats and, and get this roof built and do whatever I need to do. You're really like the perfect type of person for that. And I know you're saying you don't usually like to be in that leadership role or it's something you're not necessarily used to or we're striving for, but you really are. Being a mom, I think that helps, you know, being in the leadership role. This is what we're doing. We got to do it now. We got to do it this yeah. way. Let's get going. And you're not really, you don't really seem like the type of person has any time to waste. It feels like you make the most of your seven days there. I do. It's really hard because we're on island time now, though. So you have to like immediately adjust to the time change and everything. Well, there's not really a time change. It's more that 
they don't run. There's no sense of urgency with them. They just kind of go with the flow. And, you know, I'm from Boston. I can be probably a little uptight sometimes, like it's quick, 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 like, you know, you just want everything done. And so that's been a real humbling experience to me to learn how to be patient. But we have it. We have a thing with them now. We have translators that we've we met them when we were they were young and we've worked with them and sent them to English school and now they translate for us. They, I always say to them, is it we are on American time or we are on Haitian time? Because Haitian time is always like 45 minutes to an hour later than what we would say. And you don't seem like the type of person to wait around and be 45 minutes late. Even for this interview, you were 10 minutes early. <laughs> well, I was rushing around to do that. I try not to. It's it, When I was younger, I was late for everything. So I try not to be late now. Um, yeah, no, I don't like it. And they know. You have to be patient. You have to understand things happen. Like they have like, you know, vehicle problems. Like they'll be taking yeah. a battery from one car to put it in another car. They'll be like, Jimmy jacking things just so that you can just get into the vehicle and leave. So it's not always like their fault. It's just the way things are. And there is tons of traffic there. You wouldn't believe the traffic. Wow. I wouldn't have expected that. So yeah, you do. It's, you do have to have a learning curve with it. You have to sort of take it as it comes. I think it's, that's probably, that's probably, probably was a hard adjustment coming from fast paced Boston going there and saying, okay, I have to have managed expectations. I have to just take it slow, be patient. That's probably a big lesson that you've learned over these 10 years. Huge. And I also have to think about if I don't get everything done when I'm there, because that really bothers me. I come home and I get really upset about it. If there was things that we were supposed to do and we didn't get to, I have to remind myself, like, you're going back, like you're doing the best you can. You know, you can only do so much in one day. So, you know. Yeah. I'm sure that's hard. One thing that I know comes easy to you and it's clear in all the pictures I see of you with the kids and now some of those kids are adults in Haiti because you've known them for 10 years. Yeah. I can almost feel the love jump out of the photo. You really connect with these people. Connection seems like something that's easy for you to do. You're good at that with, with your friends. You're good at that as a bartender and esthetician. You're good at connecting with people. That is one of your natural gifts. So it comes as no surprise that when you went to Haiti, you're connecting with these families and even thinking about them when you go home. What has been the most rewarding part of the work with the Kingdom of Kids Orphanage? What has been the most challenging part? So one of the hardest things also is communication because it's, you know, I speak English, they speak Creole. I can communicate with them a little bit because I've gone, so I've learned very, you know, basic things. I can follow them a little bit. Sometimes I understand them, even though I can't speak back to them. You wouldn't believe how much you can communicate with somebody that you don't speak the same languages. It's like nuts. It's something that I never even knew existed, but that's one of the hardest things. One of the most rewarding things is definitely the relationships I've made, watching the kids grow up, seeing people that I met when they were eight, nine. Now they're, you know, leaving high school, going into college, watching them grow, watching them have struggles, but kind of come out of them, especially one of my best friends, I, I post about him a lot, Stefan. I always say he's my angel because he's literally the most amazing person I've ever met in my life. And I met him when he was young and he was like, you know, 14, 15 probably. And he was just a kid that just wanted to learn English. And we sent him to English school. He did good. We sent him to more classes and more classes. And now he owns his own business, started a, tra a translation and transportation business. Um, he helps adoptive parents find their children's families. He just got married. I was there for his wedding. He paid for his own wedding. Seeing him, he's a success story. He's the real probably MVP in this whole thing. I would get nothing done without him. So to see him go from this young kid that just wanted to learn English into this 
amazing human being that's now giving back in his own community. There's not even enough words for me to describe how proud I am of him. So I would say, yeah, definitely. That's the most rewarding thing. And seeing progress, seeing progress is huge because it takes a long time, but you see it eventually. Oh my God. That's so amazing. Well, I'm a firm believer that doing good changes you. It can change your outlook on life, your priorities, your personal goals. What have you learned from your experiences working in Haiti and how has this work changed you personally? How has it changed me? It's, it's changed me a lot. Um, I never thought that I would be, you know, in 2021 turning 41 and starting a nonprofit with one of my really close friends. And I wish, I wish that I had like one major way that I could say that it changed me, but it's like a lot of like small little things. I try really hard not to be as, you know, materialistic. You know, I'm a girl, I'm an esthetician. I love makeup. I love jewelry. I love clothes. And it's not that I don't still love those things, but I just try to not focus so much on things and more on people. And when I focus on people, I find myself forgetting my own problems. I think one of the biggest things in Haiti is, and I think in general in life, anytime you try to help somebody, no matter what it is, you really have to walk beside them. You think that you know, but you have to spend the time with them and you have to ask them questions and you have to listen to them. And you have to really learn about them and how they do things because you can't really enforce your will on people and how you think that they should do things or you think you have all the answers or whatever. So really just learning how to listen to people and read them in a way that, you know, I might think that the best thing for them is that they should start their own business and that they should, you know, do it with clothing or whatever. But for them, they might want to start a goat business. And I might, you know what I mean? Like, so it's kind of like not doing what I want to do it's kind of helping them do what they want to do and that's a big big difference between those two things yeah because you can really mess things up when you do it when you're doing it the way that you want to do it there's always an explanation there's a lot of times in Haiti where you're you get annoyed because you don't know why things aren't the way that they were when you left or why something's not working that you spent a lot of money on people donate to us a hundred percent of our donations go directly to every single project we pay for everything like even getting the donation bags there we pay for them any bank charges or fees or anything me and my friend Lauren she started the nonprofit with me we we take it out of our own money so it's really important to us that the things that people give us money for work and sometimes you just find out that it has to be done a different way and it, it can be really frustrating because things just work differently in a different country so that's another thing too so now I don't want to ask anything personal about Cameron but I, I have a question just about your your parenting style so you're talking about Stefan is his name yes okay so he's around the same age as your son just a few years older he's so he I think he just turned 26 or 27 so he's like okay five years older than Cameron maybe okay so when you're you know you have Cameron at home and you're going on these trips and you're seeing a whole different life and children who are in such need did that at all change your parenting style when you went home did you say like did it change you just to teach him more about charity or like you can't be complaining about this. You don't know what I just saw over there with my other children that I love. Yes, it did. And I definitely, I had a hard time when I first came back. I had a hard time with a lot of things. I went into kind of like a depression. Um, I, it, again, it's hard to compartmentalize. So it took me a while to process, but 
Um, water bottles really, this is such a stupid thing, but water bottles made me so mad when I came back because they don't have water over there. And especially after the earthquake, it was really hard for them to access clean water and they have to pay for it. So I would just get so upset about any water bottle that was left anywhere around the house. I had to learn that I cannot put on people what they don't understand and what they've never seen. And I definitely did that with Cameron um, when I came back. I definitely was probably a little bit hard on him about things, but I, he he knows, he understands, he's seen the pictures. I mean, he's FaceTimed with the kids. He wants to go to Haiti. It's just, you know, he was in high school and stuff and now he's working full time, hopefully. And then the whole pandemic thing happened. So hopefully eventually he'll be able to come with me soon. But it changed my parenting style in that I was raised to be try to be like as grateful and um, as giving as possible. One of the main things in like Christian faith is, you know, treating your neighbor as you treat yourself. So that was kind of how I was raised. You know, you strive to be that way and it doesn't always end up that way. So that's something that I always tried to instill in him. Like you're, you are important, but you're not the most important thing. Like there's other people that need things and our being here on this planet is not just to absorb and take it's also to give and to help people if you can so yeah that's definitely something that I tried to instill in him and I know that Cameron's very sensitive and he's very compassionate and he has like a heart for people too so I know someday he'll come with me yeah that was my next question is are you gonna are you gonna recruit him for your team yeah I need him he he does work in construction and some electrical and stuff so he knows when you're listening to this your mom needs you yes and he has a heart of gold like his mom so i'm sure he'll be in he does he's a cutie you got to save up those vacation days <laughs> that must be hard was has it ever been hard to give up your vacation to go do charity work have you ever wanted to just say i'm gonna go to hawaii this year on my vacation yeah i mean i have i still go on vacations a lot of times people uh, people ask me that a lot that's actually a really good question because sometimes people um think that i don't do anything for myself and i do like i i vacations. Um, I mean, not as many as I would like. I, I could take way more vacations, but I do, you know, girls trips and, you know, I do my nails, I do my hair, like, you know, I do things for myself. I have, I have a hard time going on vacation anywhere near Haiti. So like, mm. I'd, I wouldn't be able to go to like the Dominican or something. I would not be able to rest. I would not be able to be peaceful. I think it's really important to take time for yourself and, you know, self-care and whatever that means, get a massage, go on vacation, whatever. Because if you're not taking care of yourself and you're not feeling hundred percent, you really can't give to people because you really emptied out when you come back from all these trips. Like, yeah. so yeah, I definitely do try to do things like that. But I ha I really also have a hard time saying no. Anytime they need something, I'm just like sending money over there all the time. But yeah, no, I like to save my money up so that I can go there because I just, I love being there. It is work, but I have so much fun when I'm there. And so to me, it doesn't seem like I'm working yeah. when I'm there. Right. It's one of your passions, so it comes naturally to you. Well, I'm glad to hear that you do things for yourself because I'm always a big proponent of that, especially when you're in the field that you're in where you're always giving because like they always say, you can't pour from an empty cup. So you have to fill your cup up too before right. you can go over there and give everything. Like you said, it's so draining, I'm sure emotionally, physically, everything. And I definitely have had that be a problem like in my like relationships because 
unless you've been there, people, I don't, I feel like people don't understand. So I'll have a hard time like explaining things and I'll be kind of emotional and I don't ever want to take that out on someone else. So I've learned that I do have to take a step back and, you know, do things for myself so that I'm not just a tired kind of, you know, bitter person because, you know, it's sad being there and you wonder why, like, why is the world like this? Why are the people in this day and age that don't have access to clean water and food and why them? And, and it's not just them, but this place is all over the world like that. So it can become like, you could spend every waking minute of your life working towards like helping them and still there would be a ton of problems. So it's, it's definitely, that's a challenging part of it as well. Absolutely. You've already learned, accomplished, and aided so much through your organization, Love and Relief. But as you're saying, there's still a lot to be done. The list is never ending, I'm sure. And you feel like you want to get so much done. What do you hope to accomplish down the road with your charity work, say, in the next two to three years? Obviously, the pandemic has really put a halt to any sort of fundraising gatherings, you know, large gatherings. I've been able to do some things online thanks to a lot of local companies like the Galvin Group and Dorchester. They did a big fundraiser for us. They matched donations. So that was really good before we left because usually we have big fundraisers where we're doing you know, 50-50 raffles and people are giving us things to donate and to raffle off and people buying tickets and you know what I mean? So I would like to get more into corporate sponsorship. There's a lot of money out there that people have that they want to give because they want to help. It just doesn't always get to trickle down to like little nonprofits. So that's something that I would like to kind of tap into. I've been doing some research on it. It's really hard getting grants, writing the work for grants. Like I'm just a regular person. I didn't go to school to do any of that. Like that's what people do. Some people get paid to work at a nonprofit, which we don't. We're 100% volunteer. I would like to maybe be able to slow down a little bit in my jobs that I work so that I can put more time into it. So yeah, that would help if I could get it's really all about if you have money, you can do a lot more. And if you have people to help you with it, because it's a lot of work and not everybody feels called to do that. So that's another thing. Not everybody wants to go to Haiti. Not everybody wants to get on a plane and go over to a third world country and help people. That doesn't mean you can't help. I would be able to do nothing that I do without the help of others. My friends are amazing. I have the best friends and family. I mean, they support me in every single trip that I go on. And so I'd like to be able to tap into like more people so that I'm not, you know. Yeah, always going to the same well. Yeah, you got to expand. Well, speaking of, I imagine by now the listeners are feeling inspired by you and your humanitarian efforts and considering this their personal call to action. So how can we help? Where can we donate or buy supplies for the children of Kingdom of Kids Orphanage? Lead us in the right direction. We want to help. So we have started a nonprofit. We're still in the works. We don't really have a website yet, but we we use Venmo a lot because it's just easier, Venmo um, or PayPal, for direct cash donations. And then we also have an Amazon wish list, which has been amazing because people can just go on. They just pick things off the wish list and it ships it directly to us. So... The last time we went, most of the stuff that we were able to bring with us was because of the Amazon wish list. People definitely drop things off to me at work and drop things off to some of the other girls and at work and stuff, but the Amazon wish list is like clutch. It's really good because they have everything. The stuff they need for their hair, like 
sandals, you know what I mean? It's like everything's on there, so it's great. And then following us, obviously, on Instagram and Facebook, because we do post those things. Like we just was selling football squares. We'll do kind of anything to try to make money so that we can do things. There's one thing that I also wanted to mention to you. So we don't just do stuff with the orphanage because we we went so many times and we started making relationships with people there. We started Love and Relief because we wanted to be able to help both the neighborhood kids and the orphanage. I was on the nonprofit for the um, Haiti International Alliance, which supplies everything you know to the orphanage, but the orphanage itself. And when you collect donations for a 501c3, whatever the donation goes towards, it has to go towards that specific project or that specific place. We were finding all these kids because there's kids around us all the time. And there's kids that are at the orphanage that are friends with kids in the neighborhood. And they bring their friends over to us and they're like, they need this, they need this, they need speakers, they want to go to school. So that's kind of how we started Love and Relief because we were like, we need to help these kids too. Like these kids are almost sometimes worse off than the kids in the orphanage. So that's why we started Love and Relief, so we can work with the surrounding community because their parents, I mean, their kids, like they all need a lot of stuff and we couldn't really use the donation money to help them with things if it was specifically donated towards like, you know, a water filter or food food for the orphanage or something. So that's why I started my own profit because I wanted to be able to do more within the community. And to help more people. That's amazing. I love it. Okay, what is the Venmo? Because that one that one I don't have on my list. Love and Relief for Haiti. Okay. That's our handle for everything. Love and Relief for, for Haiti. Okay, so on Instagram, at Love and Relief for Haiti. Uh, Facebook, Love and Relief for Haiti. Venmo, perfect. Okay, so for everyone listening who wants to donate, I'm going to put everything in the show notes. We'll promote it on social media. And I also just love the hashtags that you have that you can follow along to see pictures of Karen with all these children, not just in the orphanage, but in the neighborhood. Hashtag, it's a love-Haiti relationship. I'm obsessed with that one. Hashtag, Boston to Haiti, because now your group is growing and it's a lot of different people from Boston, correct? Going with you. Yeah. Um, Actually, the it's a love-Haiti relationship. I can't take credit for that. There was a couple girls from Virginia that came with us on a trip and they came up with that hashtag. So, so cute. I love it. Yeah, I know. I'm glad it's stuck. I'm glad it's stuck. Well, Karen, I wanted you to have the final word today because you're such an inspirational person. So what message would you like to leave with the listeners today? I think kind of circling back on a couple of things that I had mentioned to you previously, like you don't have to go to Haiti to help. You can help anywhere. When I originally started doing volunteer work, I was working at a soup kitchen in Quincy. It was a lot of recovering addicts and, you know, veterans and things like that. And also when I go to Haiti, it's like, I'm a single mother, obviously, like we talked about Cameron. I have a thing for mothers and children. And a lot of times when you're over there, that's what you're dealing with. Unfortunately, like a lot of places, there can be a lot of absentee fathers and I, I'm drawn to the women who take care of the children um, at the orphanage, the caregivers. They're mostly all widows and single mothers. And a lot of the parents, as I started to get to know them, uh, will have meetings with them when we go there and just try to find out from them, what is it that you need? You know, what do you owe the school? Do they need school shoes? School's not free. They don't have public school there. So you have to pay to send your kid to school. So that's like another huge thing. A lot of them, they live off of less than 80 cents a day, so they can't really afford to send their kids to school. So that's a huge thing. Obviously, if they can be educated, then they can get further along in life. So really my passion is, has been that the kids and the, and the women that take care of them, because 
I feel like if you, again, if you're supporting the parents or you're supporting the mothers, then it takes the burden off of them a little bit so that they can focus a little bit more on, you know, being able to be self-sustainable so that they don't need a ton of help every time that maybe next year they can put money towards their kids school or to buy them a backpack or whatever it is that they need so that's always been like a huge passion of mine other than just the kids like the women I love I love them and they are the most hardworking people I've ever met in my life anytime I ever have a bad day I really try to think about the just the daily struggle it is for them just even to cook like they cook over like and they don't have dishwashers and they don't have washing machines they wash everything by hand they stand on their feet all day long and sometimes just flip-flops so I really I really have a huge huge heart for the women of Haiti as well as the children wow well anyone who's listening that was so compelling and and straight from the heart just like everything you're doing Karen that was beautiful I can't thank you enough for joining me today on wonderful week and sharing your philanthropic journey with us you are the epitome of kindness, charity, and love. I just see love radiating from you when you talk about these kids, these women, these families. It's just a beautiful thing to see. I'm excited to follow along as your organization Love and Relief continues to grow and make a difference in the lives of so many. You are truly connecting with the people around you in the most true and pure form, which is love. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet, Caitlin. Oh, that was amazing. I appreciate it. Hopefully I was able to answer all your questions well. My faith will stand